0: Hello, welcome to PSR, People Speaking Rail. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Bowden, distill head of Intermodal Solutions here at FreightWaves, joined by Joanna Marsh, who does editorial writing on the rail industry. And Joanna, you just published an article on uh, the topic of the day, or topic of the hour maybe, is uh, the Service Transportation Board issued a notice of proposed rulemaking. Um, There it is. That's a good picture too, um, that we got from Jim Allen some nice-looking boxcars in front of a Mesa in maybe New Mexico or Arizona.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it, you know, in, in a way, it is kind of the, um, the the story of the day, at least for rail, because it, it's been, you know, if, if you don't count the, the you know, the, the shippers that, you know, this has been before the surface transportation board for well over 10 years, if you don't count that, you at least count the, the 2016 part. So, <laughs> um, where I think they were considering it um, I was considering more seriously, but I think there was l- more action um, done uh, during that time frame. So it that? so 2016 math, <laughs> like around seven years. So you know, it, it is the, the the story of the day to to see um, the Surface Transportation Board finally take some kind of action um, on the reciprocal switching, which they have been saying that they were going to do this fall. So here it is.
0: Yeah, which is why there wasn't much reaction um, to the stock prices. I mean, at, at first I was thinking this was kind of a negative for the railroads, maybe a positive for the shippers, and kind of the more I read about it um, and then sort of went through as much of the source material as I could, kind of came to the opposite conclusion that maybe this is, is is a good thing for the railroads, and we'll get into that today. It'll be a topic of our show. But um, for those not familiar with reciprocal switching, how would you describe that to a lay Person. like assume you know nothing about railroads how would you describe it to that person
1: yeah yeah so let's see if I can <laughs> let's see if I can do it I, I to this day I still kind of struggle with it a little bit um I shouldn't be saying that on uh, live but here we are um let's see we're butching so you have um uh a shipper using one uh class one uh rail carrier um and essentially they would like to uh continue that shipment on um, using the network of another class 1 railroad carrier um so uh that system has actually existed in Canada um and uh and most part for for quite a bit i think yeah for for decades um and reciprocal switching does uh exist in, in in certain areas in the u.s um, kind of uh, sort of um, agreements established you know long ago um but the idea of the the way that shippers have have um, have pushed the idea of reciprocal switching is that um, it helps uh, shippers particularly captive shippers so shippers who only have access to one um, railroad uh by giving them access to another railroad um that kind of you know that 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 increases competition and also um, can be used as a um uh i was saying I can't think of the word right now but but it can be used as a way to sort of you know come back to your your host railroad and be like hey oh, hey look this you know if i if i can move my um, shipment to this other railroad, you know, I, I guess rates, rates. It's so I was trying to come up with a word um, they can help uh, with, um, you know, trying to 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 get a, a better rate, at least for the shipper angle. Um, so that's essentially what it is. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, I'm still kind of going through um, this um, decision, which is actually a proposed I should back off. Back up a little bit. It's actually a proposed rulemaking, so, um, so the comments are due, I think, October twenty third, um, or you know, around that time frame. Um, and so this is exactly, you know, this is what's going to happen. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what the shippers say and what the railroads say, um, when the comments trickle in, and there's going to be also a response period. Um, so you know, it's going through the formal, like, you know, rulemaking process.
0: Yeah, so exactly. So, a way to help a captive shipper, they're on one railroad. It was one railroad wouldn't be the only game in town if only the second railroad could use that line to take that that shipment over that line. So, the reciprocal switching and a few things stand out to me about this notice of proposed rulemaking. One of them was it was a unanimous decision by all five STB board members, including the two Republicans. Um, and then the other thing that really stands out is that this is driven by service failures, and this is kind of like it's kind of a good news, bad news thing for the the railroads. I mean, the shippers would have preferred reciprocal switching to be possible or or mandated, even in cases where there was not a service failure. Uh, but in this case, it's it's going to be triggered. It has to be sort of triggered by not meeting service certain service. Thresholds and uh, the Service Transportation Board tried to address the issue of you know having standardized you know data sort of across the railroad, sort of using all the same metrics. Uh, so one railroad's not reporting in one manner, different railroads reporting in a different manner. So it's kind of apples to apples, have a grid that's from that document, um, from the, the service transportation board that uh, goes through this. So 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 basically in order for a particular shipment to be a candidate for the Surface Transportation Board to order reciprocal switching, one of the three criteria has to be met on the left column. Either there's a service reliability issue, a service consistency issue, or the industry spot and pull um, issue. And so this, this service reliability is sort of the first um, sort of benchmark. They're saying it needs to be Sixty percent, um, you know, on time near this estimated ETA. They, they talked about having that. Maybe that sixty percent becomes seventy percent over over time, but at least sort of sixty percent um, to to sort of start with. And then the consistency, you know, has to do with you know not just are you you know not on time sixty percent of the time is. Are there times where you're way t- times when you're way late more than twenty or twenty five percent you know measured over twelve week you know, period. What I liked about that service consistency uh, component is that they're comparing it to the year ago period. Um, so there's not a lot of ability to sort of game the system, uh, you know, w- which is what I wonder about with this, that, that first criteria, that OETA, the the sort of estimated, um, the original uh, estimated time of arrival. Uh, I just wonder if they sort of sand this possibility exists for railroads to sandbag that and maybe yeah, add in some extra cushion into their ETA in order to you know be, be more reliable. And then that third segment is something that industry has complained about for a long time, that on the shipper side is industry spot and pull. And that has to do with first mile and last mile. A lot of shippers have complained for a long time that there really is no reliable, uh, consistent industry mile. So, those are kind of the three things that um, the the railers are going to have to hit in order to avoid, um, you know, having one of these mandates. And we can go sort of dig in deeper in a couple of, of additional charts. Sort of that, that that first one here is this weekly percentage of manifest uh, service rail cars placed within 24 hours. The, the S T B provided a different, you know, chart on that, and they showed that in let's say, you know mid-2022, some of those, you know, there it is, is, you know, some of those were below 50, f- below the 60%. So they're proposing that the railroads have to be, you know, 60% um, within 24 hours of that original um, ETA. And so kind of on average um, in 2022, the BNSF would have been subject to to certain, um, you know, mandated reciprocal switches. So so would the Norfolk Southern, whereas CSX is on time originations for the most part, sort of system wide, you know, the service was good enough to avoid those, uh, those metrics, you know, all those targets are above that, those bogeys. So as long as those, you know, SDB would say, well, as long as you're, you're meeting those uh, targets, which um, seem to be reasonable, you know, you avoid the, the, the mandated reciprocal switch. And then if you you switch over to this next chart, goes to that third criteria, the industry spot and pull uh, they're talking about eighty percent there as being kind of the the, the bogey that they have to hit, and you know for the most part, uh, you look at mid twenty twenty two, most of them were, were were hitting those things, with the exception of Norfolk Southern, uh, but um, their sort of interim target is, is is close to that is close to that eighty percent. So if if, if I'm a, if I'm a railroad, I may be a little bit relieved because all of the potential mandates for reciprocal switching there has to be some sort of service failure. What can take place is simply that the shippers are, are upset about the pricing of the freight service that let's say you're a captive shipper and the railroad takes up the rates six or seven percent this year and talks to six or seven percent the last year and then, you know, do that year after year. And pretty soon the rates are at a tremendously high level, you know, that would be something that's more just economic competition. But that's not being addressed here, and and that's something that was was left with the old old, uh, proposed rules. So for me, if I'm a railroad, I'm I'm sort of breathing a sigh of of relief. Would you agree with that? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.
1: That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting, um, you know, the association of American Railroads um, comment because it wasn't, um, and of course, this is just inferring. So, um, but it, it didn't necessarily come out and and you know come right out and, and, and pan um, the proposed rule, it actually was kind of like, well, let's uh, take a look at this and we'll see. Um, and then, of course, you, you had the, the the second paragraph, which is kind of like, well, you know, this is what, you know, kind of uh, the, the stance that you would think it, that the industry would take in terms of, um, you know, the proposed rule needs to have uh, data to back up, essentially. So, um, so yeah, it, it wasn't as negative, at least my Perception of it wasn't as negative of the response um, as it could have been, and and like you, I was actually um, interested in, in the the shipper responses so far. Um, I haven't, you know, I've, I've heard from two shippers. I haven't, um, um, you know, I'm still uh, need to check out, you know, the thoughts of some more people. But um, but yeah, just the you know what one shipper had mentioned, you know how it was interesting how. Um, there is that, uh, you know, you've, you've had all these service issues before the board. And so this, this proposed rulemaking, um, you know, is a way to address those service issues. And, and you thought that was actually kind of neat because, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't make too, you know, distinct room, you know, you have your, it, it, it sort of combines the, ongoing, you know, problem, um, with, you know, the, this question of res- so, um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It
0: seems to me like it depends on what the shippers' biggest concerns are, and mm-hmm. if it's a shipper like you had that quote. I think it was your article. I did read a few others too um, by Herman Hackstein, who is uh, runs the the Food and Beverage uh, Association uh, on behalf of, of of shippers, and that's an industry vertical that's a little bit more concerned with service those products have to be on shelves. And you know, he came out positively on the proposed notice of proposed rulemaking because it does address these service issues. Whereas there was another uh, quote from the American Chemistry Council, and they seemed pretty disappointed that they abandoned uh, the original sort of um, you know, proposed rulemaking where they would it would it would be broader than that and that it would it, it would be designed to enhance competition. And so if I'm in those, the, the members of the chemistry council, I mean, in many cases, there's no modal alternative. It has to go on the, on, on the railroad. If, if there's a situation where they just think the prices are too high, the rates are too high, they can't, you know, ask for solicitation of a reciprocal switch from another railroad just on the basis of the rates being too high. There has to first be a service failure. And so in sort of thinking about this kind of game theory is that the railroads in those cases, they know that that's kind of a. A captive shipper, they're going to make sure that they're just above those thresholds, and 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 so those cases won't be considered. So it, it seems kind of um, you know mixed on the shipper side, you know, so far.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm kind of hoping to do a, a follow up on it to you know just to to, to gauge. Um, probably you know get get some thoughts, some more thoughts from American Chemistry Council um, on that. So. Uh, We'll see how that goes, and we'll see, you know, what other people, you know, as even the railroads, as as um, you know, as people have more of an opportunity to sort of let the um let things sink in and you know see what it means for their for their customers membership. Um, so um, let's see between now and how was it October twenty third, so got a good uh little over a month. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so they have a little over a month to submit these um, comments. There will be a lot of comments. I can surmise what the railroads are going to say. I mean, in addition to what Ian Jeffries has, has already said, is they're likely to say, "Well, you know, if you have to, you know, basically allow another railroad to use your track, is that reduces the incentive to invest." in your own network and, and to provide that you know that capital because essentially I mean the, the, the track is the you know, and maintenance of way is essentially the biggest uh, capital expenditure that the railroads have it's even more so than, than the equipment and there's less incentive to do that and you really maintain that that equipment invest in it you know double track ex, you know, do extended passing sightings, all of those investments if ultimately you're just gonna have to share this with another railroad I think they'll make that point. I think they'll also really drill down into this efficiency question where the railroad's um, networks are are so precise that all of a sudden, if another railroad has to go on, let's say Railroad B has to go on Railroad A's network because of a, of a mandate, that really throws a wrench into the efficiency of Railroad A. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, then other shippers on the original railroad are getting worse service because there's congestion that's going to be caused by the mandated reciprocal switch. So I think they'll really come come hard on sort of the efficiency angle. And I think they'll also um, discuss that there are certain things that are outside of the railroad's um, control. Now, the STB has already included in this notice-proposed rulemaking what they call affirmative defense. And so it, it sounds as though anytime there's an unusual weather event, you know, hurricane, flood, polar vortex, uh, et cetera, that the railroad, that that data will be excluded from what's being looked at. And that won't be counted as a service failure because it's essentially mitigating circumstances. I think the railroads would say, well, you know, there's not only those things, but the volumes on the railroad can be so volatile that it can be difficult when there's a surge in demand to meet all of those, um, you know, meet all those service requirements. Because usually, what will happen is there, there will be a, a surge in volume demand on one particular uh, revenue segment. So let's say just to move motor vehicles, or just on a particular you know, part of the network, and there will be congestion on just certain parts of the network. And then, you know, how do you just differentiate? Let's say, you know, Chicago is always you know more congested than you know other parts of the the railroad network in in most cases. So there's a lot of I think nuance there that the railroads will say that these rules, um, don't take into consideration. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's see, I think, uh, Mike, you had some, you had some chart, sonar charts to, uh, to, to show. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we have a few minutes left and, um, is that kind of an overview? I would encourage everyone to, to go and check out, you know, your article, um, and also some good ones on, some of the other uh, outlets railway age always has a, a sort of a good one there like mm-hmm. the, the work they do as well uh, but yeah, they have some similar charts to go through and I think you know, the, the big thing for me is that the rail traffic is indicating that uh, the industrial economy is, is, is weakened uh, which is probably just sort of the natural conclusion of uh, having uh, higher interest rates and interest rates really rising you know, steeply for some time you sort of see that in the the industrial production data where you have the ISMs, you know, below 50, but you look at the sort of rail car load uh, chart, which is the first chart I have. And you do see the, um, you know, the 2023 is that white line. And right now we're at about, you know, the latest week um, car load. So everything excluding intermodal units, you know, down about 2% year over year uh, after having been kind of flat to up a little bit in, in, in the beginning part of the year. And turning to the next one is is, you know, major reason for that is lumber and wood carloads. And so this is exactly what you'd expect with the higher interest rates, with people stuck in their homes, you know, people who have mortgages that are 3% are not running out to uh buy a new house so if their mortgage is gonna have to be seven percent. And you see this being reflected in uh, lower uh volumes of uh new construction. So wood and, and, and lumber carloads. I mean, and we see this in the AAR data on primary forest products, which would include logs and also, you know, lumber, uh, which go obviously into houses. Uh, But you see that's been sort of weak all year and and, and, and is, you know, even weaker still. So those numbers are down, you know, double digit uh, percentages uh, year over year. Um, And turning to the next uh, couple sonar charts are ones that um, I think are, are important as well. You have one on intermodal rates from LA to Chicago. Yeah, this has been, an interesting one. So we have in sonar uh intermodal rates for about hundred lanes. And you know, these are intermodal spot rates, which not that much intermodal moves on in the spot market, uh, but there's still information, I think, in this uh in this data point and really suggest, I mean, it's been suggested in a lot of other places too, that uh, there's not gonna be much of an intermodal, you know, peak season, but this is the time of the year that, you know, normally those intermodal spot rates rise. And will rise as the railroads get concerned about securing capacity for the big contracted shippers. There's really no evidence that they're concerned about securing capacity for those contracted shippers now. And really, contrary to what's typical seasonally, is they cut those rates um, from the L.A. to Chicago corridor down to $1.31. dollar thirty-one, uh, and and also th- that's the white line, and the, the green line is from the L.A. to Dallas, uh, you know, corridor, a lot of freight moves in that uh, lane. Down to a dollar, you know, fifty-six. Uh, so, was, and those include uh, fuel surcharges, and that's door to door. It's also so it also includes the drayage, uh, you know, portion of, of, of the network, and just really uh, sort of reflects that, you know, the, the the truckload market is is competitive, and they're confident they're going to have enough containers for the major, you know, contractual shippers. I'll flip to the next sonar chart, which is another one that, uh, that stands out to me is, uh, this is one that, you know, Henry Byers wrote a really great article about, uh, earlier in the week. I want to say it was, um, maybe Monday or Tuesday of this week, uh, where he talked about how, you know, his expectation is that, uh, spot rates in the ocean market are going to come down. And then what we're looking at here is ocean booking is an ocean booking volume index. Uh, so ocean volumes on, um, that, that are booked at point of origin so that the biggest you know, point of origin is going to be china and you see that those peaks right around july 31st and they've fallen off uh you know rather you know sharply that index was at means that 120 and now we're at about 80 so it, it really has come down you know significantly um that those that's really going to hit the the volume coming into the ports of LA, Long Beach, a lot of that translates, you know, very directly into the um, intermodal volume. and a, a lot of those lanes that I was just showing, the, the LA to Chicago and LA to Dallas uh, corridor. Uh, so it seems like there's going to be capacity in um, in the ocean market, you know, coming online. He, he, you know, he t- Henry talks in that article also about how the ocean tender rejection rates have increased and how he thinks that's temporary. You know, as a result of those carriers. Um, Pulling capacity out of their networks uh, by, you know, blank sailings and other methods. Um, you know, very interesting how he how came to those conclusions. But uh, you know, all of this I think sort of translates to. There's uh, going to be you know, excess capacity for shippers on the on, on the ocean, and that's going to translate into excess capacity on the intermodal uh, networks and also the domestic, uh, you know, truckload uh, networks. Um, you know, even though we're seeing you know, intermo- uh, truckload capacity come out of the marketplace not coming out quite fast enough to at least immediately tighten up the the, the truckload market. It's gonna be a period of time before uh, that is tighter, although you know things could be very different um, you know, let's say middle part of uh, next year.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it was interesting because um uh you know um Donnie and Gilbert um got in touch with me last week after um I you know after I had published that that story um on on grain exports um that QA And, um, you know, and he had mentioned, he actually, I think he had a similar, he had pointed me to a similar chart on intermodal rates, um, as a way of showing that, uh, you know, that the, the, the the rates have dropped, um, in order sort of to (laughs) encourage, um, more business, essentially, um, which is kind of what the, the grain export kind of how that ties the grain export article. Um, that's because, you know, the, the grain exports have, and if you actually, sorry. (laughs) getting ahead of myself the great exports um have uh great volumes i should say grain volumes uh grain car carloads um have have actually dropped um quite a bit year to date um i don't have the figure in front of me but you know i was just looking at it they, you know they've declined by a double digit uh percentage um year to date so uh and so you have you know the railroads kind of eager to um you know to, to to get more more business and that's kind of how you, know, you tied it with the interbiddle um uh, you know, tried tried to to drum up um, just just more business uh, in general with, with, with the rate. So yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and actually, you know what what you said too about the the, the industrial um, outlook. Um, you know, AAR released its. I think it's it's uh, today's Thursday. Uh, yesterday they they um, you know they put out sort of the, the August volumes, and you know they had a quote from um, their senior um, economist there uh, saying, you know, that you kind of confirm what you said, which is, you know, uh, even though, you know, automotive volumes have been, uh, pretty strong, um, this year for the class one, uh, railroads in the U S, um, you know, the, the industrial, you can kind of see, I think it was a carloads, carload on a monthly basis, um, have, uh, year to, you know, kind co- year to year comparison. Um, it's a third consecutive, so August was like third consecutive month that carloads have fallen, um, year over year. So, and again, pointing to the industrial, um, uh, um, situation or um, the lower sort of industrial output, so.
0: Yeah. I mean, Carlos almost always go the same direction as, um, industrial production. So that's, that's really, um, I think what you're seeing. I think that's right. Um, but, uh, Hope everyone uh, found that helpful. If anyone has any feedback, uh, always can email us. Um, but hope that's all we have for today. Hope everyone has a great day.